This podcast made possible by the generous support of Lilly Oncology. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Dr. Gabriel Hordabaji is Professor of Breast Medical Oncology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. He is a past president of the American Society of Clinical Oncology and is one of the world's leading authorities on breast cancer treatment. He has published more than 1,000 papers in peer-reviewed journals. At the European Society for Medical Oncology Congress 2021, Dr. Hodabaji presented overall survival results from the Mona Lisa II trial, which compared the combination of Kiskali, which is also called ribocyclib, and Femera, which is also called letrozole, to Femera alone to treat hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, advanced stage breast cancer in postmenopausal women. Earlier results from the study found that adding Kiskali to Femera improved progression-free survival, the amount of time the women lived without the cancer growing. These new results found that the combination of Kiskali and Femera also improved overall survival, the length of time women lived, whether the cancer grew or not. Dr. Hodobayashi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So if you could, just so we all understand, could you summarize the Mona Lisa II study for us? Yes, so the Mona Lisa II trial was designed in 2012, and it was a phase three randomized clinical trial in which uh, 668 uh, postmenopausal women with advanced or metastatic breast cancer who had not, not received any treatment for metastatic disease were uh, given letrozole and then were uh, randomly assigned to either a placebo or ribocyclib and treatment was uh, scheduled to be continued until evidence of uh, tumor growth or progressive disease was detected. A recruitment started in early 2013 and uh, finished in about uh, March 2014. And we presented the first results, as you mentioned, in about progression-free survival in the fall of uh, 2016 at the ESMO presidential session. At that time, the results showed that the uh, extension of disease control that related to the addition of ribocyclib was about nine months, which was highly statistically significant, and more importantly, it was highly clinically relevant and significant. Many of our randomized trials that uh, show uh, progress and show improvement in outcomes uh, show improvements in progression-free uh, survival of two, three, sometimes four months. So nine months in metastatic disease is a considerable uh, leap forward. Now, after that uh, analysis, we repeated the analysis a year later when uh, additional events had occurred and therefore the results were more mature and even more reliable and we confirmed the exact same results with a somewhat higher level of statistical significance. And then we had to wait until sufficient events occurred to perform the overall survival analysis, which was done 
uh, starting in in the summer of 2021. And it was on the basis of that analysis that the presentation at ESMO was planned. And this analysis showed that the control group, the group that received letrozole plus placebo, had a median overall survival of 51 months, whereas the, the group that received ribocyclib plus letrozole had a median survival of 63.9 months or 64 months. That's a greater than 12-month uh, prolongation of overall survival, which is wonderful news for our patients. And it is also a, a representation or a reflection of the progress made in this field. And just to put this in, in context, when uh, I studied in oncology in 1974, the median survival for advanced breast cancer was somewhere between 18 and 24 months. And now with uh, these results, we have broken the five-year mark, which is a considerable amount of progress. And uh, so we are very excited about these results. Now, um, other important findings of this most recent analysis were that the side effects and toxicities we reported in 2016 had not changed. There was no new report of new or unexpected toxicity. And since uh, more than half of the patients received uh, ribocyclib for more than 25 months, which was the median progression-free survival, that meant that uh, the safety of this was considerable. And in fact, some of uh, the original patients are still receiving uh, ribocyclib at this point, uh, almost uh, eight years from the onset of treatment. In a more formal analysis, we had used validated quality of life instruments to assess the impact of treatment on the quality of life of our patients. And there was no detriment or no decrease in quality of life. And for those patients who started out with symptoms related to their cancer, there was improvement in their quality of life. So both in terms of safety and in terms of efficacy, the results of this latest analysis were very encouraging and suggested that we have continued to make progress in this group of hormone receptor positive HERD2 negative breast cancers. And uh, just to remind us that this is the most common type of breast cancer, and it represents something like two-thirds of patients with primary and metastatic breast cancer. Okay. Okay, thank you for that. Now, I do want to ask, uh, Kiskali is a CDK4-6 inhibitor, and just for everybody listening, that means it targets specific proteins that help cancer cells divide and multiply. And besides Kiskali, there are two other CDK4-6 inhibitors used to treat breast cancer, Ibrantz and Fresenio. But my understanding is this study, these results that you just presented, this is the first time a CDK4-6 inhibitor has been shown to improve overall survival. Is that correct? So, uh, yes and no. Uh, so, okay. uh, so there have been probably nine randomized clinical trials with uh, one or another of these uh, CDK4-6 inhibitors. 
And uh, the initial uh, trials were in first line. So the Mona Lisa 2, which is the one we were talking about today, the Paloma 2 and the Monarch 3 were in, in, uh, designed for patients who had received no prior treatment for um, metastatic disease. Only the Mona Lisa 2 has been reported in terms of overall survival. The Paloma 2 and the Monarch uh, 3 have not uh, reported overall survival results. However, there were uh, six other randomized trials in second or third line therapy. Uh, again, uh, named Paloma or Mona Lisa or Monarch with various numbers. And those second or third line uh, trials have reported in for all three CDK4-6 inhibitors, a prolongation of the progression-free survival and overall survival. Now, the difference is that the more advanced breast cancer is and the closer it is to a fatal outcome, the easier it is to demonstrate an overall survival benefit. And let me explain. If you think of the time uh, that starts when a patient is diagnosed with metastatic disease, until there is a, a fatal outcome. Uh, patients with this type of breast cancer, but also other types of breast cancer, receive multiple types of treatment. So let's say uh, the first line treatment works for about a year, and then uh, cancer starts growing again. You change to a second line treatment, and that might work for maybe six months, and then the uh, cancer starts growing again, you change to a third-line treatment, and so on. And some patients receive uh, five, six, seven, eight, sometimes 10, and more lines of therapy. So the contribution of any particular line of therapy is relatively modest in the context of the overall survival. So for much of the history of clinical trials, it was much easier to show a prolongation, a significant prolongation of disease control or what we call progression-free survival than overall survival. And of the hundreds or even thousands of clinical trials we have run in breast cancer, you can count with uh, you know, a few fingers the number that have shown an overall survival benefit. So uh, that is the enormous significance of uh, this particular trial, the Mona Lisa 2, because it is the, f uh, the first time that we have shown in first-line therapy of this particular type of breast cancer that, uh, that we can prolong overall survival. Now, uh, since the other two CDK4-6 inhibitor trials have not reported, we do not, we do not know, of course, what the outcome of those will be. And we are all waiting with great interest when those trials report. The three trials started at about the same time, although the oldest one is Paloma 2, which started about a year before Mona Lisa 2. So we hope that uh, uh, these other two trials will report overall survival results within the next uh, year or two, uh, whether positive or negative. And of course, uh, that will determine where the field goes next. 
because suppose the other two trials in first-line therapy are uh, negative and they do not show an overall survival benefit, then clearly uh, the uh, ribocyclib or Kiskali will be the only game in town. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if the other two also show an overall survival benefit of similar magnitude with similar safety uh, results, then we will have multiple choices and then we will have to figure out whether these three drugs are indeed uh, interchangeable or whether one is better than another and so on. So uh, that is uh, where we stand today in terms of overall survival with the three CDK4-6 inhibitors. Okay, thank you for that. That was very helpful. I do want to ask, because I know some of the people on our website, um, there may be a little bit of confusion or they want to understand why is improving overall survival versus progression-free survival so important? Well, most patients are interested in one of two or both outcomes, length of life and quality of life. The length of life is clearly defined by what we call overall survival. The quality of life, of course, is defined by you know this, the, the effects the disease has on how they feel and uh, what, what the treatment they receive does to what, how they feel. Now, uh, progression-free survival um, reflects only one relatively modest part of the overall duration of survival, whereas overall survival represents the whole duration of survival. So because of that, it is uh, uh, more important to define uh, what effect treatment has on overall survival. In the case of uh, the Mona Lisa 2 study, the progression-free survival for the a ribocyclic plus letrozole arm was 25 months, but the overall survival was 64 months. So it's a huge difference. And uh, that is one of the major reasons why we emphasize overall survival. The other part of it is that progression-free survival is measured uh, on the basis of tests. And sometimes depending on when you do the test, you know, we don't do tests every day, So if you do a test every four months or every six months, the time to progression might vary. So there are some technical issues there, but there are no technical issues about overall survival. You're either alive or you're not. And because of that, it is considered the hardest endpoint, the one that is unequivocal. Whereas progression-free survival is a little bit more iffy. Uh, We use it because you get to progression-free survival earlier, and therefore you can make a decision about the contribution of a drug or a treatment to the overall uh, management of that patient's disease. But uh, it is not the best endpoint. Okay. Okay, thank you for that. Now, as you described, the Mona Lisa 2 study used Kiskali in combination with Femera, but my understanding is Kiskali can be used with any of the aromatase inhibitors. So is it likely this improvement in overall survival will be the same no matter which aromatase inhibitor Kiskali is used with? So, yes, that is an important point. So the three aromatase inhibitors available to us today, uh, Arimidex, Letrozole, and Aromacin, are 
pretty much the same in terms of their their efficacy. And there have been trials that have compared the three of them, and they there doesn't seem to be a clinically relevant difference in how they do. And there are no specific interactions of um, 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 ribocyclib uh, or the other uh, two CDK4-6 inhibitors, for that matter, with these drugs. So I would expect that regardless of the of the partner we use for um, ribocyclib, the um, end result will be the same. That is also true for another endocrine agent called uh, fulvestrant or Faslodex, which has also been uh, combined with ribocyclib or Kiskali in, in another trial. So I think the important thing is to combine ribocyclib with an endocrine partner, but all four endocrine partners uh, that we I just mentioned uh, will have the, the same level of uh, partnership with the drug, and therefore the long-term results are expected to be the same. Okay, thank you for that. That that was very helpful. And finally, so what do these results mean for a postmenopausal woman who's been diagnosed with hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, advanced stage breast cancer? Do they change the first standard treatment for this type of breast cancer? Is that where we are now? So because the the second and third line uh, therapy randomized trials were performed uh, in the duration of progression-free survival and overall survival for those second and third line therapies is shorter, they were reported earlier. So for several years now, there has been this uh, this controversy in the field of should we add drugs like ribocyclib to endocrine therapy in first line, or should we wait until second line or third line? Uh, will that make a difference? And, and the reasons for that controversy were related in part to cost. These drugs cost upwards of $100,000 per year. And in part, because every time you combine two drugs, you increase the chances of uh, having some side effects or toxicities. And there were some smart calculations as to, well, if you do it in first line, then you get a longer progression-free survival. But if you do it in second line, you might just uh, get uh, the same overall survival with the shorter progression-free survival and the lower cost and so on and so forth. But now with this hard endpoint reached and having broken the five-year margin, if you wish, uh, there is not much question that this is what we should do up front. Use the best treatment, the most effective treatment up front, and therefore this should be the standard for every postmenopausal patient with advanced hormone receptor positive breast cancer, unless there is some specific contraindication to to this drug, and there are very few. So uh, I would imagine that the great majority of, of patients uh, should be uh, should be treated with this combination. Dr. Hodabaji, thank you so much for your insights. This has been really helpful. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, Email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.